Hello, friends, and welcome to World Build With Us, the podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferty, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Courtney Staples and Ian Woodworth. Ian, you might know from the podcast Under Common Taste. So, Ian, before we even get into our podcast, why don't you go ahead and introduce where people can listen to your podcast? Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me back. Um, Under Common Taste is available on basically all of your podcasting platforms. Uh, We are a homebrew TTRPG podcast, primarily Dungeons & Dragons. Our most recent series of episodes has been on various mythological monsters, how they were presented in myth and how they've been translated into TTRPGs. So we did a whole thing on sirens and harpies and creatures of that ilk. Fun. We did a whole thing on mermaids, merfolk, and all the various related monsters. We did the the deep sea monsters, so the Leviathan and the Kraken and all those. Uh, the most recent one that I'm still editing at the time of recording, but will be out by the time this is released, is on monsters that petrify. So the basilisk, the cockatrice, the gorgon, and the medusa. Very fun. And we are getting ready to start into a whole bunch of episodes on North American cryptids. Oh, boy. There's a a panoply to work with there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's exciting. I'm looking forward to that. And where can people find you again on every podcasting platform? Is that right? Just about every podcasting platform. We're also on... Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Twitch, Mastodon at Undercommon Taste. Oh, Lord, you're on the Mastodon now? Uh, We're there. I don't do a whole lot, but (laughs) I'm there. Um, We do still have a presence on the burning Hulk of uh, Twitter Mm -hmm. at UCT Homebrew. Yeah, uh, we're also still on there. And, you know, I keep asking, like, how much longer? Yeah, But that's neither here nor there. Anyway, we got a show to do, folks. So before we get into our episode, which is a prompt from a listener, Orlando, we've got to plug our pluggables, too. So first things first, if you want us to build your world, you go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com, where you can click the link, follow the instructions, and within a reasonable amount of time, we'll be building your world. We've also got a YouTube channel now where you can Go over there, click the subscribe and the follow and the like and the comment and all that stuff that makes me nauseous. But guess what? You feed the algorithm gods by doing so. We're also, like I just alluded to, still somehow on Twitter at Let's World Build. We've also got a Discord if you want to come and chat with us more directly. And of course, if you're feeling particularly generous or you just want access to those sweet, sweet patron-only episodes and other goodies, you can go to our Patreon and give us money there. Now, with all of that out the way, let's get into the prompt. This is coming from Orlando, who says, The Earth was the same until it wasn't. Cryptids, fantasy beasts, fantasy races, and even dinosaurs have come from another Earth. Classic magic, which is capitalized, spells like fireball, is prominent. Blimps fly through the sky, carrying passengers to the different corners and regions of the Earth in this land of a thousand differences. There are still steam and diesel technology, and also mechs, mechs and copper robots. So that's our initial prompt. Tenet number one, Earth has the exact same countries and cities. Parentheses, New York is the capital of the world. Uh, sure. Um, number two, there are sects of ancient wizards, both good and evil. And number three, there are orcs, goblins, dragonborn, dinosaurborn, elves, and dragons. I yes, think, I on think the you're... prompt it says dwarfs, Courtney. Yeah. I know what it says. I I'm omitting to... that. Well, it's personally. part of the prompt, so. <laughs> Is it though? Is mm-hmm. I mean, if I don't read it, then it's not part of the prompt. Mm, so I don't know. I'm, I'm looking at it right anyway, here. Anyway, we've got uh, a guest uh, host here with us. So Ian, why don't you start us off with your first tenet, sir? All right. So when I was reading the prompt, the thing that I was trying to figure out initially is if they have the whole spectrum of D and D esque magic. 
why are they still using steampunk slash diesel punk thematic machinery? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So my first tenet is that magic is a purely destructive force. Ooh. You cannot create with magic. You can only destroy. Mm. That's fun as hell. Actually, I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So, so what what can we kind of uh, suss out from that idea? There's no creation magic; it is only a destructive thing, right? It's warfare only, effectively, right? Uh, I mean, I can see industrial applications for it, yeah, yeah, um, because you know things like using magic to blast rock in a quarry or mm-hmm. to, you know, burn fuel in a steam engine. But the act of using the magic can only destroy things. Mm. Okay. That's really fascinating. I'm, yeah. I'm like really interested to see how that works. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. And yeah. the lack of like healing magic would be interesting to oh, deal with, yeah. given that there's going to be all this destruction all of a sudden. Yeah, I, I like that a lot as well, because it's like you're forced to rely on technology, like, mm-hmm. like to heal and to like do other like that. That to me is rather interesting because it's like, honestly, one of my pet peeves with traditional fantasy settings is like how common healing magic, especially mm-hmm. resurrection is, because it yeah. feels oftentimes that like you take away some of the stakes by by having so much healing magic thrown around, you know? Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a fun one. We can definitely work with that. Um, and uh, it's, it is interesting because it kind of fits with one of my tenets. The Same, first, actually. Yeah, oh, let's go. Let's do it then. So the first tenet that I wanted to introduce. So as, as you well know, right, li- longtime listeners will, will understand that I'm not the biggest fan of fantastical races, right? Just because to me, it, it often doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So I wanted to focus in on the fantastical races for this particular episode. And I wanted to say that near the end of World War I, there was a blood curse that happened to come from this other world. And as a result of this blood curse, humans do not exist. They have mutated Mm. into the orcs, goblins, etc. of this particular world now. So humans once existed but they do not anymore. And so they've transformed into the myriad fantasy races as a result of this blood curse from the end of world war one. Okay. Interesting. Yes. So again, I, I don't want it to just be like, Hey, there's a portal and then popped out some dragonborn. Like that to me mm-hmm. is like less interesting. Let, let's force the humans to do it. Let's force the humans to grow two feet, big tusks, and green skin all of a sudden, you know, like that to me is a lot more interesting. Mm-hmm. Also, um, I've, I've done it again by cramming several tenets into one, but we'll, we'll get to that later. I suppose. Courtney, what did you say was slightly related to your destructive magic bit? Yeah, I think pretty heavily related actually. Uh, mine is that <laughs> okay. because of the suddenness and the severity of this event, whatever had happened. Uh, and I guess we'll have to, work with yours to figure out what this event really looked like mm-hmm. basically massive but also somewhat disorganized wars have taken place in an attempt to preserve the dominance of at the time the human species but mm-hmm. again compromise there and it's not like this is across the globe necessarily i think it depends mm-hmm. on the cultures and species that are intermingling in any given region but mm-hmm. there's definitely been a lot of uh loss and destruction and one of orlando's tenets was that earth has the exact same countries and cities and well Correct. i think that could be true in terms of location i also think that certain nations may have just been completely wiped out by mm. like hordes of dinosaur born or cities may have been burnt to ash by dragons and this could also help explain why the technology is different and even why like blimps seem to be such a core mode of transit mm-hmm. because maybe planes got wiped out during these conflicts along with like power grids and resources in general, mm. especially aided by Ian's destructive magic. So yeah, my tenet is pretty much that a lot of war happens in the aftermath here. I think that that fits pretty well with the timeline that I'm looking at right now, or at mm-hmm. least the vague timeline, right? Because I too saw that like, Hey, 
you know, the Earth's countries have to be maintained. So I thought like a good way to do that as best we can is to like jump the timeline and put it into a I mean, I know it was over 100 years ago at this point, but like relatively mm. recent time. Right. Yeah. 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 So like World War One is like, OK, the world has basically settled into what the world we know is right now. But I am really fascinated at this idea that there is a war, a war of like we need to keep our humanity like that is an inevitably lost right through through mm-hmm. the kind of like blood curse of this endless mutation. So I, I suppose, Courtney, considering that we have a conflict there, should we square this now? Um. Yeah, I'm curious how you think it might work. Like, if it's just a matter of now these new sort of species fighting for dominance in the world, which I, I'm fine going with that. Like, given that, you know, if one group suddenly turns into borks and another turns into goblins, like, there probably would be some innate conflict there. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what, I'm, what I'm mostly interested in here is this idea that, like, we want to preserve this idea that humanity was fought for. Right. Mm-hmm. And what I think is really interesting about that is I, I have I deliberately didn't specify how the blood curse worked specifically so we can like have some wiggle room here. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking that this mutation, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a quick explosion of, you know, like, oh, it's it's been day five and suddenly I'm an orc. It's like maybe yeah. this is a generational thing. Maybe uh, it's like. Yeah. As we continue to breed generations, it's become more and more prevalent that these kind of fantasy races have become the mm-hmm. new human, so to speak. I like that, uh, which could also, of course, my mind immediately goes in these horrible directions of like infanticide. If your child is comes oh, out like more orcish than you or whatever, and you want to preserve your humanity as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, the the idea of like blood purity was so common and right. so prevalent around the time that we're talking about that like and this is already incredibly dark but like eugenics was absolutely a thing that was being toyed with around that time period and then obviously it kind of um culminates in world war ii but now all of a sudden we've got this new wrinkle in the timeline where it's like no matter what we do we're going to transform into these or our children will transform into these things yeah and i think that making it this generational thing where the offspring are the ones who start displaying these abilities that it doesn't necessarily mutate the people who are already alive and human. Mm. I think that that timeline works really well. If we wanted to maintain a parallel timeline for culminating and really breaking out into large scale violence around 1939 Mm -hmm. around Mm -hmm. world war ii and the scope of that would also work in in this particular scenario yeah i mean the the timeline does tend to match up because think about it that way like 1919 tonight so it's 20 years so it's really like the first generation of these mutants of these like fantasy races is starting to come to prominence right and they're starting to get old enough to have kids of their own. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's an inherent tension with the old world and the new world. Like, yeah, that absolutely works, doesn't it? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I'm a big fan of that. So, so okay. This kind of fights with one of my other tenets here, but let's, let's move on for now. Because this is already a very interesting kind of world that we're taking a look into right now. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so let's, let's put a little pin in this for now. Well, for me, for my stuff. And we'll go back to Ian. Ian, what does your second tenet look like? All right. So the prompt mentioned cryptids. And I I got the impression that the cryptids would not be formerly human. Because because mm. you're I'm I'm gonna rules lawyer your tenant here, Rob. <laughs> because you did say that it was the fantasy races Correct. that yeah. that humanity uh-huh. turned yeah. into. Correct. So my second tenet is that rural areas of the of the world now hold a disproportionately large amount of political power compared to what they did under human domination because that's where the cryptids live. 
Interesting. Mm. That's really cool. I like that, that is, a lot. Yeah. yeah. So did the cryptids, like, are you imagining that they they were ones that sort of teleported over or did they come from another source? Um, I mean, the way that I was reading the prompt suggested that this is two parallel realities that sort of got smushed yeah. together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's quite where this setting is moving towards with the way that we are presenting our tenets. Mm -hmm. But I would rather just be that the cryptids were here all along. Uh. And now that with the with the dissolution of humanity, the cryptids are coming out of the woods. Mm. Ooh, I like that. I have a question for you. Okay. What what makes the rural areas areas of power, right? Because you say it's the cryptids, but what do the cryptids bring to the political landscape that makes them inherently powerful? Well, you if you if you look at cryptids in most stories, they're cryptids because they have some sort of supernatural aspect to them, some sort of supernatural power to them. Mm -hmm. um, whether it is just being something like a Sasquatch where you're nine feet tall and can just snap off a tree and beat someone to death with it. Sure. <laughs> or, you know, again, in the case of a Sasquatch, you just disappear. You're mm -hmm. able to just not be where they thought that you were disappear almost as though they never existed at all absolutely <laughs> and you know some some of these are like shapeshifters so they're able to change mm. their appearance to fit into a different place oh. in society are we getting into skinwalker territory now uh I, i'm not because there is okay. a there is a great taboo around using that term that i try to respect oh really yes hmm. Uh, that that is, that is one of the Native American folk creatures that you don't talk about because talking about them gives them power oh, and, and okay. can and can attract them to you. OK, that. OK, that's really cool then. So interesting. interesting. Yeah, that that I mean, that in and of itself, I'm like, oh, that's like a boogeyman right there in this particular setting. So like that's that's quite something. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's that's where I'm getting at is that, you know. I was under the impression that the setting was happening in sort of a modern day mm. world. Mm. So all of this conflict and stuff, has, this is recent, but it's history. And the, and the world has sort of moved on from that. They've figured mm. out how to get along more or less in, in the way that we have as a global society, more or less figured out how to get along. Mm -hmm. And and so the cryptids would be players in the global political system. Mm -hmm. And so because the rural areas, the areas outside of the cities are the areas where the cryptids live because they, they don't have you don't have a Sasquatch city. You know, they live out in the out in the forests. And so because of that, the cryptids being supernatural creatures with supernatural abilities would have disproportionately larger amounts of clout. Mm. Hmm. So, so these rural spaces suddenly become like diplomatic outposts for the cryptid nations, like the disunited cryptid nations of this particular world effectively. Yeah, I guess you could say that. Mm. Okay. I, I think it's, it's more that there's suddenly a uh, not demographic. What's the population constituents? There's a constituency ah. that did not previously exist that has made itself known. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Okay. It's also the fact that um, you said that the cryptids sort of came out of hiding when all this magic came to be or kind of woke up or something. So it's almost like they they know what their powers are. They're emerging at full power versus mm. the humans who are like yeah evolving or trying to figure out what in the world's going on exactly mm -hmm. yeah. that's very interesting mm -hmm. yeah 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 i mean i i can dig that though like i like the idea that there's like these are basically the stewards of the old world kind of in a way you know mm -hmm. cool um courtney what do you got for your second tenant 
so my second tenet is uh, with this infusion of magic into the earth, things associated with magic and the occult now do actually have tangible magical power. Yes. So people who practice magic in whatever form on earth can now actually channel their energy into legitimate spells. Uh, relics that supposedly had some magical or divine power now actually do. And I don't know how this fits in with our exact timeline, but I was thinking even stuff like Ouija boards can now actually contact spirits or Magic the Gathering cards can be used <laughs> to cast spells and summon creatures. Um, yeah. And it doesn't necessarily have to be easy or obvious how to make all that happen, but it can happen. I, I'm so glad that you brought this up because I was I was trying to figure out how we were going to square like ancient sects of like wizards in this particular mm -hmm. world. And I was like, maybe we can just have like Madame Blavatsky and like Aleister Crowley just be like actual magicians now. Yeah. And the fact yeah, that you definitely. codify it just makes it so much easier to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. I also love the fact that you're bringing in like power of relics and stuff like that too. Although what I, what I find interesting is this kind of what I see as a kind of um, friction between something like uh, like, well, if, if there's only destructive magic, Right. What do holy Christian relics do? Do they even have power or mm -hmm. is it like only the destructive ones work or something like that? You know, like I'm I'm, I'm rather curious to see how we can square that type of thing as well. I mean, have you read the Old Testament? Oh, yeah. No, I'm not. <laughs> it's all that. fire and brimstone. No, no. What, I, what I'm suggesting is like more, more, uh, more modern like relics and stuff. They're supposed to be like, oh. You rub your foot on the bone and then you're then you're healed, right? Like that's the healing magic that we kind of associate with it. But if all magic is destructive, then what purpose do those saints uh, in like thigh bones and finger bones have now? Like what does I that think, look like? Yeah, I think they just wouldn't work, which would create a lot of uh, interesting interactions yeah. between religions i think that's, now what, I'm, that's what i'm saying like wait we can cast fireballs but this this holy water still doesn't do anything shit yeah yeah ex exactly where it's just like so the spear of longinus is still like a destructive spear right but like like the the oh man we don't heal anything anymore so <laughs> so there is this kind of like oh there's a crisis of faith that's probably happening within the church yeah. and realistically right with this onset of magic I can see how the the Christian churches will see this kind of shift, it, how they can see magic as heretical mm -hmm. because it doesn't work the way that they're thinking their magic should work, right? Well, there there will also be certain sects within that religion, mm. some of the more extreme sects who will see it as their vindication that mm -hmm. they are correct because yeah. now they are able to smite the evildoers in their eyes. Like mm. literally call down lightning from yeah, the heavens. Yeah, they are literally yeah. able to call down fire yeah. and brimstone from the heavens. Mm. Yeah. I, uh, I'm i totally down with stuff like that. Yes. Uh, and yeah. obviously, there's always going to be like, this is the end times. Now is truly the end times. You know, when when we mutate, it means that our souls are actually being ascended into heaven. Like, you know, stuff like that. It's the reinterpretation as as has always happened forever and ever. Right. Yep. That's cool. I'm cool. I, I like that a lot, Cordy. That's that's thank you for making that a tenant. That makes it much easier, honestly. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, it does work out well with the like massive amounts of war that have been going on. If all of a sudden mm. there's also these religious conflicts on top of everything. Yeah. So about that. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I have a little bit of a snafu when it comes to my second tenant and I'm just going to read it out. Um, so, so my second tenet tentatively is the age we're focusing on is heavily inspired by the Gilded Age of the 1920s. So we're thinking Art Deco and extreme wealth disparity. Think prohibition, but it's not alcohol that's been outlawed, but something else. Right. And I'm thinking that if we went from, you know, like World War One, like but now we're on the cusp of a new generation. I'm just assuming here that the wars and the conflicts has stunted progression mm -hmm. to the point where like it has been 20 plus years, but we're only now getting to this Gilded Age era, right? So sort of like how in the Fallout video games, everything stagnated at early 1950s following World War II. 
Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, so there's a bit of stagnation here, but what this also implies, right, is that the Gilded Age is the age of stuff where it's it's actually pretty good right before World War II is about to happen. So it's it's the time where America it's pre uh, Black Friday, Black Thursday. It, it's like before the stock market crashes when Americans are extremely wealthy. They're like flaunting their wealth to Europeans because the Europeans are so shocked by the end of World War One that they're they're paying dividends, but like incredibly poor, all that stuff, and. Th- the reason I wanted to kind of focus on this as well is because metaphorically in the 1920s, New York was the capital of the world, culturally, technologically, all that stuff. And so if the tenant tells me that New York has to be the capital of the world anyway, I'm like, oh, we can just relive that Art Deco thing here and do it that way. But have it be a little bit more literal because it's like, yeah, the Americans are the most powerful. They're the Gilded Age era Americans where they're able to spend and all that stuff. So yeah, that's, that's the kind of vibe that I got. And also what's prohibited. It's not alcohol. It's something else. What is it? Magical relics. See, that's the easy thing though. (laughs) That's the easy way out. Yes. Magic being outlawed is the easy prohibition era thing, but is that something that everyone's going to want? You know, like prohibition was was so popular because it's like everyone was drinking, right? Every like right. And people were like, actually, we kind of agree with these gangsters and robbers because we don't agree with prohibition. So, mm-hmm. but it, but if like everyone wants a gun in in the form of like a magical spell, that doesn't necessarily make as much sense to me. So, but but I but I'm curious to see how we can square that. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Um, let's see. So unlicensed magic isn't something that you want to go with? Oh, we can do licensed and unlicensed magic. That's not a okay. problem at all. But I'm saying that the the commodity that is prohibited is not I alcohol. In it, and I prefer it not to be magic or relics. Okay. So we haven't gotten to the, the mech suits and the copper mm-hmm. robots part That's of true. the prompt yet. Yeah. We've barely touched on technology at all. You're absolutely yeah, right. Yeah. So what if it was something along those lines? What if it was um, like. Like a servant, like a robot servant class or something like that. Yeah. Or maybe maybe some sort of rudimentary artificial intelligence. No, what the thing that is powering these copper robots. Mm. Okay. I really like that because now we can get into a situation where everyone wants a copper robot. Everyone wants a friend. Everyone wants. And now that they're starting now that they have started to develop AI, it's like, okay, we've got to ban them, you know, because we can't have them gain sentience on our watch, you know, like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But now we have like a parallel underground railroad where it's just like, Hey, this one's starting to develop intelligence. We've got to hide it. You know, like, there, there could be like a parallel between like it's a younger thing because the fantasy races like are like, why are you trying to exterminate them? Like you're trying to exterminate us, you know, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I'm tossing this. I'm rapid fire in here. So like I'm open to other interpretations here as well. Now, we are also just now coming out of World War One or our World War One equivalent. Right. What's to say that the copper robots are not holy robot but are like grafted bionic yeah. yeah appendages for you know war veterans who lost body parts in the war mm-hmm. mm. and so they are going through their own loss of humanity Whoa. in real time mm-hmm. because you know they are also being seen as lesser to some extent because they are yeah. not wholly human anymore yeah, mm-hmm. I mean it's it's also a great parallel to shell shock, which we would later know as PTSD. Yeah. Plus, what it can also be like, uh, kind of emblematic of is the power that these human purists actually have throughout the culture. Where we're at a point where purity culture isn't just about humanity; it's about well, you have robot parts, you know, like you're no longer part human, and you have this really mm-hmm. interesting like conflict that might arise where it's just like you have veterans who have like brass and copper robot parts and you have veterans who don't and they're like i'd rather die than like not be human anymore and it's Mm -hmm. like they're trying to like show that 
humanity doesn't rely on like prosthesis or doesn't rely on like, you know, being an orc or an elf or something like that. That's so remarkably interesting to me that I'm super down with that. And then you would also have the potential for another aspect where we can pull in some inspiration from like cyberpunk, where you have certain wealthy individuals who are actively augmenting themselves, actively removing parts of themselves and replacing them with these metallic biotic parts Mm -hmm. as an effort to extend their lives. And they could be doing it secretly so that they can still pretend to be all about the purity Mm. of humanity when, in fact, their torso is entirely robotic at this point. I will see your robot parts and I will raise you the other parts of fantastical races as well. What, you know, Um, like, oh, you know, what does a blood transfusion do if it's a mutant? Or what happens if you try and graft elf parts onto a human body or you know, like the, the scales or the muscular arm of an orc onto a human body, you know, like there's going to be fuckery. There's going to be people who see these fantasy races, not as mutants, but as like the next evolution, right? Like mm-hmm. there's going to be a, sh- a, a conflict between those who see humans as the pure genetic race. And then there's going to be like, well, wait a minute. These people are stronger. These people are, are, are faster or, or can see in the dark, whatever their genetics are pure. So you have like two eugenicist viewpoints that like inherently clash with one another. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's exactly the point that I was about to make is because eugenics is not always about culling the undesirable portions. It's also Mm -hmm. about cultivating the desirable portions. Yes. And so Mm -hmm. you would end up having pseudoscientists on either end of that spectrum doing heinous things yeah in the mm-hmm. name of advancing science oh boy yeah i mean just thinking about the human experimentation that happened during world war ii which mm-hmm. is horrendous oh, just yes. as it is and then throwing in this idea of magic and robotics and mm-hmm. other species other races like uh I hear you. We're not there yet, Courtney. We're not at the World War II phase yet. We're oh, right know. before that. We're, we can but, see it. We, but, we're standing on a hill and we're looking at it, but we're not there yet. But that know? said, like, if war is on the horizon, people are probably going to be starting to experiment with, like, super soldier type things. Like, if they can sense this threat that's looming, they might be trying to get ahead of the game. Um, I think that they're a little worried about the economic depression that's going on. You know, I guess it would depend on I mean, obviously not everybody's going to be worried about that. But when we're talking about like the extremely wealthy people who are trying to maintain Mm. power. Mm -hmm. Well, oh, oh, well, hold on, because, uh, again, if we're following like historically accurate stuff and we're not, obviously, but like (laughs) if we're if we're following the rhythms of history, then all of those rich eugenicists are about to lose all of their fucking money when the stock market crashes. And like that to me is kind of a fun thing that we can explore as well. You know, like what happens in this age of like, oh, maybe. maybe, Oh, okay. I'm thinking about a million things all at once here. Everyone's gotten their tenets out, correct? I think so. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Let's do a recap and then we'll do the twist and then we'll reconcile that twist to figure out where we can kind of go from here. Maybe the twist will be like, nah, Courtney's right. Let's start talking about super soldiers (laughs) and stuff like that. We'll we'll figure that out a little bit later. So, Ian, you started us off today. Remind us, what is your first tenet? My first tenet is that magic cannot create; it can only destroy. Mm-hmm. Have do you feel like that has been honored, and do you feel like we've done that justice thus far? Um, I think that we addressed it. I think that it mm-hmm. uh, it has established its place in our in our setting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Courtney, what was your first tenet? Uh, That because of all this magic happening, that just led to a ton of war kind of across the globe, depending on Mm. what cultures and species were now interacting. And basically, a lot of stuff got destroyed and Mm. and slaughtered and lost in this period. We've kind of had to like work around that. Do you feel like that has worked out well for you, like in terms of the timeline, what are you thinking about? How are you feeling about this? I mean, I guess I've been picturing it as a very 
war-torn world, like even more so than the world mm. was after World War One. But gotcha. like, so it's even in more dire circumstances now, right? And like, like I was saying, that could kind of explain why they veered into this direction technology-wise too. If like mm. tech had been destroyed or lost during this period of conflict, and they're sort of recovering from that and using magic to to help with that. Gotcha. Sure. Yeah. All right. My first tenet, all of these fantasy races are a result of a massive blood curse that happened around the end of World War One, mm-hmm. and has caused them all to transform into them. Now, after chatting with Courtney and, and kind of making it work, uh, we've decided that it is uh, generational. So humans will stop existing after a certain amount of time. But as of right now, we're in the transitional period, right? Yes. Okay. Fabulous. And, and I feel happy with that. I feel like that's kind of a big conflict point that's happening in the world right now. Mm-hmm. So Ian, remind us, what was your second tenet? My second tenet was that rural areas have mm. disproportionately more political clout because that's where the cryptids are. Mm. So as you've talked about this, I cannot help but feel like there is a Sasquatch Eugene Debs out there somewhere. Um, <laughs> I don't know why, but in my brain, I'm like, that's definitely what's going on. These Sasquatches or these cryptids are like, listen here, we need to establish some kind of a socialist utopia. And I'm like, hell yeah, Eugene Debs, you tell them, Sasquatch. (laughs) You know, like, I don't know why, but like in my brain, I'm like, that's what's going on. And they're starting to like gather a lot more uh, people and stuff like that to their cause. The, the, uh, The mental image that I had whenever I first came up with this tenant was that Mothman is the leader of the free world. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, he is going to be able to warn us about stuff that's going to happen. So I suppose that's not too far off. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Interesting. Uh, I feel like we should probably suss this out a little bit more. What do you think? I mean, I'd, I'd be all for, going a little deeper on this one yeah Mm -hmm. Courtney what do you think how can we expand upon this idea um I think kind of going more into how they've developed their own societies and how they may have intermingled with well what was once humanity and what's now evolving into different things I'd be curious about that like are they you know actively sending like ambassadors over to to Mm. New York City as the capital or are they very cut off or are they are just kind of yeah, insular or yeah. are they like very open and like trying to like seek acceptance from the greater world? Mm-hmm. I almost see them as sort of like these grassroots organizations that are making sure that the world continues to function mm-hmm. while all the higher ups are concerned with their race wars. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> okay. No. So they're, so they're like, making these communes where the refugees of the various inter, you know, interspecies conflicts can go and oh. be safe. Okay. Okay. So after world war one, and then after the war torn period that happened afterwards, the natural world itself is probably in pretty rough shape, right? Mm-hmm. With all the war tornedness that Courtney was kind of alluding to. Yeah. Are these rural cryptid folks, are they more interested in like healing the natural world? And that's like part of their oeuvre as well, because that's where my brain goes. See, I'm I'm not so certain about nature being terribly affected because most of the fighting would be concentrated in urban areas where mm-hmm. the people are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, kind of right, because like you do have like the scouring of the landscape and, you know, like people finding bullets that have been in fields and stuff like that. Like if you've seen all quiet on the Western front, like the, the landscapes there are blasted and gray mm-hmm. and mud, you know, like that's right. kind of where my brain, like, cause if we have widespread war, not just urban warfare, right. Then I can also imagine this being a problem. But the, but the thing about the Western front is it was basically a stretch of land between two larger urban areas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, 
that they were fighting over for position to the point where it basically became a stalemate because neither side's offensive capabilities could overcome the other side's defensive capabilities. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so they got stuck there. But if you went, you know, 50 miles away from the, the Western front, if you went away from no man's land, aside from, you know, the population being greatly diminished and, and, you know, you have certain lack of resources the natural world was largely unaffected. Okay. So, so maybe maybe we can kind of tie that into their their kind of political positioning like maybe they're maybe they're kind of like a, a neutral zone or something like that or like a place like a refuge for a lot of people. Yeah, that's that's yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Okay. Yeah, I can I can deal with that. That's cool. They're like we don't care where you're from, we don't care what you've done. But once you're here, you're going to follow the rules or there will be consequences. Mm. What are what are the rules that we have to follow here? Ian? Oh, ba- basically just, you know, be nice to each other. <laughs> it's like, it's like there, 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 there is no fighting under this roof. Be nice to each other or we'll snap your leg like a twig. Like mm-hmm. that, that is the ultimate fascistic threat. Yes. <laughs> Uh, it, it's right. like that scene of with Hulk and Loki, you know, puny God. <laughs> mm, yeah, I- exactly. But but you know that would murder a regular person horribly. Um, okay. Probably. <laughs> yeah, almost <laughs> certainly yes. Uh, okay. All right, uh, Courtney. What was your second tenet? What do you got for us? Uh, that was that with magic being infused into the earth. Uh, anything mm. associated with magic or occult stuff is now actually legitimately magical. So people who practiced magic Mm -hmm. now do have legit magical power. Relics have been imbued with magical Mm -hmm. or divine power. And even things like uh, Ouija boards or playing cards could potentially play a role here. Right. Tarot cards, obviously. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like I love the idea of like the occult being something that is like real again, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And the the other thing that we've talked about and that I do love is the idea that yes, you can bring all the the all-stars of the age, you know, who were alive around that time and be like, "Nah, they're alive. They're they're there, you know, like the Golden Lodge, they're there. They're, you know, like stuff like that. That that's all really interesting to me. Um mm-hmm. there is a great uh, Cthulhu supplement by, uh, oh, I think it's Robin D laws where it's like, um, it's like Paris in the 1800s or something like that. And it's this exhaustive detailed, like lodge of like so many occult dealings and goings on and stuff like that. And I just love the idea of it anyway, a little bit off topic mm-hmm. here, but yes, I love the, I love the implications of this particular tenant Courtney. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like we definitely flesh that out pretty well and we can continue to bring it into the twist and whatever Mm -hmm. happens there. Yeah. We got to get to that twist. But before we do, I've got, I've got my second one. So uh, the age we're focusing on is heavily inspired by the gilded age of the 1920s. We're thinking art deco, extreme wealth disparity. We're thinking prohibition. And we've decided that prohibition is actually on like human or non-human or what is perceived as non-human parts things, etc. Uh I'm I'm happy with what we've the work that we've kind of done there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So, let's roll this twist, shall we? All right. Let's All do right. it. And our twist this time is the stakes get even bigger. Mm. Well, I think that kind of uh wins the argument for Courtney here that uh <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna roll right into World War II era shenanigans sooner rather than I would have liked to, but whatever, yeah. it's fine. Um, yeah. yeah, no, that that works for me. Uh, unless Ian has a better idea here, what 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 can we do to make the stakes even bigger? I mean, I think that you know the accelerated timeline will work, mm-hmm. especially whenever destructive magic is thrown into the mix and especially if it is an innate magical ability rather than an 
a taught or learned magical ability, which we may not want to to mm. do. But if that is the case, then we have a a situation that is more accepting for a French Revolution style mm. scenario on a global scale. Mm. Where the disenfranchised now have the means to overthrow the elites. I like it. Yeah. I think I have a way to square that as well. So, I mean, because we have fantastical races, let's make them fantastical, right? So I think it might be interesting if, you know, let's say elves, for example, had a greater magical aptitude than humans would. And it's it's just a matter of like, well, I'm an elf. Like, I just happen to have greater affinity for magical things. And you can do that with myriad fantastical races as well. And I think that works because now you do have like, well, look, we've got technology, we've got an open mind and we've got the magic. So maybe what we're seeing instead is not, you know, uh, the stock market crash, but the abolishment of capitalism and the stock market entirely, mm. you know, I, yeah, I definitely obviously like that direction, but um, <laughs> really, wow, Courtney, but, that's surprising. I do also think that the, my idea that I brought up earlier could still fit in where like the, the wealthy class is trying any desperately anything to mm. maintain their power. And that's where the experimentation and fucked up robotics and eugenics mm. come in where they're they see mm. that this like that they could potentially be toppled and they just decide to do anything to keep mm. that from happening ian how do you feel about your um your mothman slash sasquatch like the 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 rural areas being a kind of paragon for an alternative to mm. capital like because that's how i see this kind of conflict happening where it's like and mind you, they might not even be warlike. They might not even be like militant about it. But it's just like, well, we've got to we we have an example of what could happen. Why don't we expand that out to the regular world? Yeah, I can I can see that working, especially since, you know, we have these cryptids who ostensibly don't have a a capitalistic structure to their to whatever mm -hmm. society they would have. Because if you have capital, then you leave evidence. Right. Mm, yeah. Ex exactly. Exactly. That that totally makes sense. All right. So so my my idea of Sasquatch Eugene Debs still makes sense. I'm still in there. Mm -hmm. I'm still happy about it. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, cool. So we that was surprisingly easy. So I suppose my question now is, where do we set this narrative? Is it on the cusp? Because to me, what I find interesting about this setting is not the fact that we're in wartime, but rather yeah. we're in the middle where, you know, like you see the conflicts that are like, again, we're right on the verge of that happening. Mm -hmm. And to me, the, the, the tension, like the, oh, the, the conflict that's happening like that to me is a lot more delicious than the war itself. Because war, you know, while incredibly important, while incredibly like it makes stuff happen. It's, it's kind of boring to me of like, if I'm thinking about this from a role-playing game perspective, because like, yeah, you can play like a, a Navy seal type team or a Marines or, or something like that. But I'm always more interested in like the far more human stories that happen. Mm -hmm. You know, one thing that we haven't touched on at all, that does actually appear fairly prominently in the prompt is blimps as a mm -hmm. form of transit. So I'm wondering if we can, do something around that in some way. All right. So make blimps a part of what we're focusing on in the narrative. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Interesting. How do we make that happen then? I don't know exactly. Like if, um, I guess we could have like a dual narrative going where we're following these, uh, communist or socialist rebels on the ground that are working with these cryptids versus the very wealthy, uh, individuals maybe who are now in blimps because that's like the safe yes. place to be yeah. is off the ground. Th thank you. I'm like, poor people don't have access to blimps. Courtney. Right. That's yeah. always been a rich person yeah. thing. A hundred percent. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we're there. We have like 
flying sky fortresses effectively mm-hmm. right yeah and then w- what's interesting about that as well is that the blimps themselves are effectively a stage for that wealth disparity right uh, yeah mm-hmm. yeah exactly good call excellent job courtney mm-hmm. yeah so what's going on is this is are we are we leading a raid onto a blimp or is it like maybe we're infiltrating a blimp to get some evidence or get some kind of like dirt or money is this a heist like what's the situation that we're dealing with here mm. well the thing about a blimp is that you can't grow food on a blimp and the fuel eventually runs out and has to be replenished mm-hmm. mm. so that blimp has to land eventually yeah so the the whole thing may be trying to figure out when and where a blimp is going to land Mm -hmm. and then and then doing some sort of a maybe it is you're someone who's on the blimp and you have to make that supply run in secret and get off the ground without getting noticed maybe it is you are someone on the ground who needs to get in and rescue someone from the blimp Mm-hmm. Or someone who wants to go in and sabotage the blimp mm-hmm. or something along those lines. But I think that centering this around a blimp having to land would work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic idea, Ian. I, I really like that. I mean, we could even take it away from the blimp and it's just like the entire storyline, the entire quest is about the coordinates or the map in the in the the itinerary of when this thing is going to land and where, mm-hmm. right? Like that information is so important enough and alone that like you could have an entire quest line about it, right? Like, yeah, it's that, that to me, like intelligence being the thing that we're after is really smart. And I love that idea a lot. Ian, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe they're trying to locate that one last secret hidden blimp depot that one last Ooh. airfield that, Ooh, that yeah. where they are systematically going and restocking that the rest of mm. the world hasn't figured out where that is yet i wonder if this is like this universe's uh version of the hindenburg oh my god yeah this is the hindenburg. <laughs> like it fits with the timeline too. disaster yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay oh you know what this reminds me of um, this reminds me of when the untouchables grab Al Capone's accountant, right? Where it's just like, we're not going to get him on the big stuff, but if we have the accountant who can kind of uncover how the economics and the fraud and all of that work, like that to me is effectively what we're doing here. We're not going out and we're not like mowing down rich people in this setting, but it's like, if we have the maps of where these depots are, of where even like the small stop off points are that is like massive. It's, it's like uncovering like the coded language that Mm -hmm. allowed us to spy on, uh, on Japan, like for, you know, a very long time to, to the point where it's like a massive intelligence problem for the Japanese in world war two, you know, like that kind of thing. Like that's the key that you have in your hand. So you could really like, if you want to do a straight MacGuffin, you're like, here's the book that has the codes that has the map. Right. Or it's like, this is the book that has the map in it. Like that alone is such a huge thing for the enemy to have. Like, bam, there you go. It's almost like the Enigma device. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, figuring out the the device that maybe what we're looking for is the reason that they haven't been able to find it is because it is mobile. And so they can pick it up and move it to a new location and all of these airships have this one device that is synced and runs through a certain series of coordinates periodically that will update it to where this mobile depot is supposed to be at any given time. Can I throw in some treachery and betrayal here for you, Ian? (laughs) I love me some treachery and betrayal. Here's what I'm thinking. It is the rural area. There is one particular rural area where they're allowing this blimp to land, right? That they're like selling out the other folks because they're so strictly Uh, adhering to like it being a neutral zone that there is like, oh, like, yes, you guys are bastards, but oh, come on. We, you know, like there's this conflict that happens. And then 
there's obviously just one person or there's one cryptid rather who's like fuck it i'm a prophet i'm not really about this whole socialist lifestyle like i'm a skunk ape give me that money you know like whatever you know <laughs> mm-hmm. some, something like that yeah yeah that, that could work mm-hmm. I, I see no reason why it couldn't because to me right it's like they they seem like they're so at odds that of course no one would really suspect like a, a rural you know like cryptid zone for a landing or a depot point you know yeah i think it totally works and definitely ties in with the tropes of like betrayal and double crossing in like mm. wartime stories and and sort of spy mm. stories so i like it and it could be a thing where they know that there is a rat that there is some oh, a collaborator yeah. And they have to figure out who it is. Mm-hmm. There we go. Yeah. 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 This could be like a, a hidden role RPG, basically, where you hand out everybody's secret roles at the start and there's one saboteur. You know, I love those, Courtney. I've mm-hmm. done a couple of those before. Mm-hmm. Those are, those are, if you haven't done that, by the way, this is complete aside. If you haven't done secret roles as a one shot RPG, you are missing out. Because, man, I have never seen such gleeful <laughs> knife in the back nonsense than I have in like, you all have your own ambitions. You all have your own missions. Like, you got to do it. And then people are like, yeah, I'm going to just like stab my best friend. I don't give a fuck. Like, that's the type of joy and phenomenal role playing that you can get out of stuff like that. So, yeah, that's, that's also a very similar vein to the uh, at least the older editions of Paranoia. Oh, that, yeah, I've I've never played Paranoia. Me neither, I've never played no. Paranoia, actually. Oh, Paranoia is a ton of fun. I, I've I've heard very good things. I think Justin Alexander has talked about it quite a bit, too. But um, that's neither here nor there. So, OK, I feel like now that we're rambling, we're very satisfied. <laughs> I feel like we're we're satisfied with the main storyline quest. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's time to wrap it up. How do you all feel about that? Yeah, I feel pretty yeah. good about what we what we accomplished. Me too. I'm I'm very happy about this. It's very fun. Yeah, it's very solid. And we've got everything here. We've got factions. We've got plot lines. It, it all ties together well. Oh, yeah. Very satisfying. Very exciting. So a big thank you to Orlando for submitting this prompt. And uh, before we get into our spiel, Ian, remind the people where they can find you and your podcast and media empire in general. Oh, yes. Such a such a mighty empire it is. Uh, our podcast is Under Common Taste. You can find us on most every podcast aggregator. We are also on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Twitch, Mastodon at Under Common Taste. We are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Under Common Taste. We have oh, yeah. a Discord. I will give a link to our Discord if you want to come over and chat with us. Oh, yeah. I'm over there occasionally. Occasionally. I, I, I'm, I'm not as active on the Discord as I'd like to be, but... That's because nobody talks to me either. So come over and talk to me and I'll talk back. (laughs) Yeah, I I hear you on that one. Yeah. Well, all right. So again, a big thank you to Orlando. And remember, if you want us to build your world like we did with Orlando's here today, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com, where you can click the link, follow the instructions, and within a reasonable amount of time, we'll be building your world. We've got a brand new YouTube channel that I just keep forgetting to talk about. Go over there. Do all the YouTube stuff to it. Say hi. In the comments, tell us your favorite Eugene Debs quotes. And if you don't know who he is, Google him. Wikipedia, that shit. He's a cool guy. Interesting guy. Anyway, moving on. Uh, We got Twitter still, at Let's World Build. Come chat with us over there. But realistically, if you want to chat with us more directly, like Ian suggested, come over to our Discord with the link for that in the description. And if you're feeling particularly generous, you can always go to our Patreon where you can get access to sweet, sweet patron-only goodies and double-length episodes as one of the big selling points for a lot of people. So, Orlando, if you want your next prompt to be twice as long, you want twice as much attention, that's how you do it. You go over to our Patreon with a link for that in the description and on our website. And with all of that out of the way, that's going to do it for this episode of World Build With Us. Remember that we love you very much, and we're going to get through this together. Until next week. 